Hello, and welcome to this special series of episodes called 29 Days of Magic. During Black History Month, the month of February, I'll be interviewing a Black woman a day who's from business and entrepreneurship. You name it, I'm going to have a chat with her. The idea for this is to show off the amazingness of Black women throughout various industries. I hope you take a listen, like, share, review, and be inspired by these incredible stories. Take a listen. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Reset Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Mignot, CEO of the Cultural Communications Agency, Flash. Each episode, I'm bringing on a different business leader who's doing some game-changing work. And I'm so excited to have Tanisha Warner, who's the founder, creator, CEO of the amazing Agami Group and the creator of the Dream Project. Tanisha is a phenomenal leader and has done so much to move the cultural needle. It's going to be a great conversation take a listen. Hey, Tanisha. Hi, Laura. I am so excited to be here with you. I'm so excited to have you on the show. You're one of my favorite CEOs. And so I'm so psyched to have you chatting about all, all good things. So the way the podcast works is the first question is always the same. So Tanisha, what was your first job? Oh, boy. Okay. So my first job was um, I landed my first job in the third grade. And uh. <laughs> yes, and um, I'll give you a little backstory behind it. Um, my grandmother worked at a center um, that was sort of like assisted living for the elderly. They would come um, every day, but they would actually leave at night, but it was, they had activities for the elderly. Um, and my mom was the director and in third grade, I was allowed to go with her during the summer to work. And there was the boss, the big boss. His name was Reverend Jones. And he would come on Fridays to pay the staff. And I used to watch him handing them checks. And I thought to myself, I wonder what I could do to be a part of the team and get one of those checks. So I started to think about what can I do? What's needed around here? And I realized that the place could use a good cleaning. So I worked up the nerve to speak to him about it. And this was officially my first pitch. He came in one day and I said, Reverend Jones, may I talk to you? And I told him, listen, I've looked around the center. Um, I noticed you don't have regular cleaning and I would like to offer you um, to clean the center. And I'll, I'm here every day, I'll do it. And he said, um, well, if that's the case, how much do you want to get paid? And I remember being so nervous. And I said, I would like $25 a week. And I looked him in the eye and then he looked back at me and he said, it's a deal. And we shook hands. And that was my first official pitch. Nine? Yes. <laughs> So many lessons came out of that that I still I was going to say, like, Lord have mercy. I mean, again, the reason why I ask this question is because it always sets up what people end up doing now. Yours is so specific to what you do now that I'm just like, oh, okay. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so, yeah, how long did you have this job for? And isn't, wasn't that kind of illegal? Uh, <laughs> I know, right? I know. Um, so I ended up working there the entire summer. And I feel like I did it two consecutive summers, but then my mom got another job. 
And there was just so many lessons in it for me. Number one, it taught me to be um, bold in my ask around what I want and my perceived value. Um, it taught me to land a deal by not necessarily thinking about what's in it for me, but what's in it for the other person based on their needs. Um, because ultimately he needed to have um, the center clean. And um, it, it taught me that, you know, when you're willing to be bold and courageous and ask for what you want, that the world will also say yes at times. So uh, it was a good experience. That is amazing. And obviously sets you up for where you are right now because <laughs> you just got all those nuggets at the age of nine. Well, this explains a lot. <laughs> so um, from negotiating and asking for what you want at age nine to now, what's that career journey been like? It's indeed been a journey. So um, for me, once I started earning money um, in the third grade, I was, I guess you say like a little mini entrepreneur. I was kind of fixed, like, okay, I want to continue to figure out ways to earn dollars. So I went on, um, by the time I was 14, the summer that I was 14, I was working three jobs at one time. I was a waitress at Bonanza. Um, I worked at Food World in an early morning shift. And then I worked at this pharmacy type store. Um, I think it was like a Rite Aid or something as well. I had all three jobs at the same time. And that was by the time I was 14. Um, so the work ethic of working hard, that's something that's just in my DNA. My father is an extremely hard worker, my mom and my grandparents. So I carried that forth. Um, I continued to work, went to college, landed a job at IBM Global Services, was doing well at IBM and was kind of climbing the corporate ladder. And I had an aha there. So the aha was really centered around, I wasn't fulfilled. I was earning dollars, earning money, but something was really missing. And for a number of years, I tried to ignore it. And I thought, you know, if I earn more money, then everything will at some point balance out. But it, it really did get louder and louder. And I went to work on my master's and one of the professors challenged us in the course to really think about what was the driving decision behind all of our major choices. And my aha was centered around my driving decision was earning potential. And at the end of that paper, I wrote, I am going to try a career path where I will lead with purpose and passion versus leading with profit and dollars. And that shift was just absolutely um, like the, the, the biggest shift that changed my entire career tra trajectory that I have been on for the past 17 years since that moment. So once I had that aha, I, um, I, I went on this path of, of really trying to discover what am I passionate about? Um, I wrote down things that I was passionate about. I started volunteering in areas that align with that passion. Um, I offered my service to volunteer to Russell Simmons and Kimora Simmons. Um, I offered that service over and over. If wait, you wait, 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 wait
I know, right? Because the story's about to take another turn here. <laughs> I, I believe the story is going to split on its head uh, at this moment. Um, how does one become an adult intern for Kimura and Russell Lee Simmons? <laughs> so at some point, my career trajectory definitely got off of the traditional path. So I ended up leaving IBM. Um, and when I left IBM, I just had this burning desire that I wanted to change careers. And I would read all of these different books. And I actually read one of Russell's books. At the time, it was a book called Life and Death. And I thought to myself, I like what's happening in hip hop and entertainment. And I would love to contribute my ideas. And I noticed that a lot of people that got their breaks, like your Kevin Lyles of the world, or even P. Diddy, that they started from an internship. And so in my mind, I thought to myself, and I don't know anyone in the industry. I don't know anyone, um, and I don't have the experience. So the only way that I'm gonna be able to get in is by offering the skills that I do have for no fee in exchange for an opportunity to learn. And I actually started practicing this one minute pitch. And I said, I'm gonna meet someone in entertainment and they're gonna give me this chance. I didn't know who that someone would be though. So fast forward, I start networking in places that I knew leaders in entertainment would be. One of those places was, um, there's a magic trade show that happens in Las Vegas. It's like a fashion trade show that happened two times a year. And I was there networking and literally I bumped into Russell Simmons. He was going into the restroom and I was walking by and I pitched myself. I already was ready because I had practiced this one minute pitch. And I essentially said, listen, I love what you and Kamora are doing. I have five years of corporate experience. I'm willing to contribute my corporate experience within your organization for no fee in exchange for an opportunity to learn from you guys. Um, again, nothing traditional about that, right? And, and again, I don't even know if it's quite legal now. Um, <laughs> yeah, but that's a, neither here nor there. <laughs> Um, but that was my, that was my big break. I mean, it, it didn't, it's not like Kimura and, and Russell said yes that first time. I was very persistent. I followed up a whole lot, um, almost to the, the point where it could be perceived as a, a stalkerish. Um, a but smidge. eventually, a smidge. <laughs> eventually that persistent paid off and, and they said, Hey, listen, um, come offer your services. Remember you said you're doing this for no fee. And that was my big shot. That was my, that was my opportunity to really change the career path that I was previously on. Wow. So what did you end up doing for them? So when I first got there, I, my mom told me, cause you can probably tell from this interview, I'm a big talker. And I remember, nah. my, <laughs> <laughs> I remember shy my, wallflower, nine years old, um, negotiating her own salary, but yeah, shy. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Not, not big talker at all. Mm -hmm, yeah. Uh -huh. So I remember my mom telling me, she said, listen, no one asked for you to be there. So you need to really go in, keep your head down and just try to figure out where you can add value. So in the beginning, Laura, it was 
anything that was needed. So um, I remember sitting in this the vice president's office and, and the office was just absolutely just unorganized because they were traveling all the time. So I offered him, I said, listen, when you guys go away on your next trip, I'm willing to organize your office. And I organized his office and he was blown away. And then the other VP said to me, hey, do you mind? Will you help me organize my office? Because I'm traveling all the time. So I organized that office. Fast forward, as I was organizing those offices, I would read contracts and I was really learning a lot about their business, their partnerships and their deals. And then there was this opportunity where they were working with Verizon Wireless to launch an initiative called Hip Hop Reader. And that was really the first time that I spoke up and I said, listen, I can tell that this deal is not going um, according to plan. Will you let me serve as the project lead on this? And, and when I said it, literally, um, Russell said, I didn't even realize you were still here. <laughs> That's how quiet I was during the, the first few months of just volunteering. And that led to me getting an opportunity on that campaign. Then that led me to getting another opportunity on the get out the vote campaign. You probably remember that. And I just continued to be able to work on campaigns that connected community culture and causes together, which is really the core pillars of what Igami Group is now. And um, I ended up going from a unpaid intern volunteer to general manager of Rush Communications, which was the holding company within one year. Wow. Well, that's an amazing story of persistence and getting it done and, and seizing the opportunities. Yes. And so, so, oh, go ahead. Wow. So now that, so now that you've gotten this general manager position, you, uh, what, did you, what did you want to do next? Well, I ended up doing that for a number of years, about three to four years. And um, then I was being called again to do something else. And, and I, I refer to this, I have a book entitled The Big Stretch. Um, and this is where I've really documented what I believe is the blueprint for individuals and dreamers to actually achieve their dreams. And something that I've learned is Professionals that welcome stretching beyond their comfort zone over and over, they're constantly evolving. And so after doing the general manager role for about four years, I missed corporate America. Yep, full circle moment. When I left, I started to miss the structure of, of corporate America. But wow. I didn't want to go back to corporate America. And I ended up um, consulting with the CEO of a company, Jostens, which is the leading product provider of class rings and jewelry in high school. Yeah, and everyone's he, got those. <laughs> yeah, remember, he asked me, like, listen, should I be paying attention to um, pop culture? And, you know, what should I do to have our class rings become relevant? And I had no idea that I was like providing him strategic counsel, but essentially we mapped out a plan to do these co-branded rings with pop culture leaders. Beyonce did one of the rings because he said, well, listen, this is a good idea. Can you make it happen? 
So I then had to bring in these leaders to co-create the class rings. And I love that project. So Beyonce ended up designing a class ring, Kimora designed a class ring. And I had a friend look at the work that I did on that particular account. And he said, T, I don't know if you know it, but what you just did is the work that agencies are doing for corporations. And Laura, in full transparency, I looked at him and said, what exactly is an agency? What do they do? Wow. <laughs> I didn't know at all. And he kind of gave me a few to take a look at. And once I started to research the structure, I was like, I can do this because I knew I had the culture um, experience. I had the corporate experience and it was sort of, this will merge all of the various experiences that I've had to connect corporations to culture. And, and that was it for me. And, and I founded Igami Group, that was 13 years ago, on the premise of those things and, and those core pillars that I told you, um, culture, community, and cause, those passion points are still the pillars that we connect corporations to diverse audiences through those pillars. That's amazing. And not all surprising because Shanisha, you are that woman. Uh, uh, so that's fantastic. And so you all have been ridiculously successful. So full transparency, I met Tanisha uh, in the South of France uh, a few years ago when they were winning the first and only Grand Prix Lion for an incredible campaign. And how do you all go from, hey, listen, you know, we're just going to build this to being the highest possible winner at the Cannes Lions? Like for, for you as an agency, how has that been for you all? Well, since that moment, um, it definitely provided us with global um, exposure. Um, I feel that it has sort of propelled our journey forward after that. You know, leading up to that moment, I really do feel the team, um, it was just about the passion, the work, keeping our head down, doing what we love. We were kind of under the radar. And all of a sudden this company that sort of hit this global stage, that was my first time ever going to Cannes. Um, that, you know, at that moment, it was, you know, who is this and, and where did they come from and where have they been? Um, although we had right really here. <laughs> we've been here. <laughs> we were doing the work for a decade, but kind of just doing it under the radar and, and letting passion lead the work. And, you know, the, I think the thing that was so amazing for um, when I met you guys and and saw the work that you did with the talk, it was um, Procter & Gamble's The Talk ad that obviously not only was amazing when it came out, you know, garnered even more relevancy this past summer with all the protests with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and so many more, was that it, you know, it was so thoughtful in the fact that like, this is just our daily life and giving us humanity in a campaign and having a brand to say, yes, we will do that. You know, how do you, what's the, what do you think is like the magic behind the Igami group where you can sort of get those brands to understand the meaning of why it's so important to do this work? Um, I would say our 
magic of what makes Igami Igami is a combination of two things. Um, being purpose pioneers married with multicultural uh, cultural competency expertise. Um, there definitely are agencies that have, you know, I, I feel like there's so many dynamic minority business enterprise agencies that are just killing it out there and they're known for that thing. In some cases, it's this is who you go to if you want to do, you know, amazing entertainment work. This is who you go to if you want to just be, you know, that very, very cool brand. Igami is this is who you go to if you want to make an impact in the world. Um, so we're very much so purpose driven. All of the work that we are bringing to the marketplace, you know, we're going to explore with the brand, you know, who are you? Why does your brand exist? And what becomes possible in the lives of consumers as well as multicultural communities because your brand exists? And those simple questions allow us to open up into just very inspiring, purpose-inspired territories that drives meaningful impact in communities. Um, and so that's the that's the why, that's the secret sauce. That's why they're coming to us. Um, if they want to start doing amazing dope things that will leave an impact, a measurable impact um, in multicultural communities, then we can, you know, we can go, we can get at it together. <laughs> That's amazing. And, and a really succinct way of explaining it, because I think there's all this fluff around what do we do, what do we do? And it's like, there are agencies already doing this and we're killing the game. Um, you, just, you as a brand just have to understand what is it you're trying to achieve uh, and then call some folks like you. We're so excited to have Soho Works as the sponsor for the 29 Days of Magic campaign. You know, they're designed by Soho House and their workspace is to help creative thinkers, businesses small and large, connect, collaborate, and grow. And it's where I'm recording all the episodes of 29 Days of Magic. It's a safe, wonderful, and collaborative experience. Uh, I'm currently in the Brooklyn location, but they have locations, one else in New York City, in the Meatpacking District, one in LA, five in the UK, and they give you that kind of home away from home feeling with all the tools, technology, equipment to help you do your best work. Uh, like I said, it's an amazing location, feel safe. I've you know been able to meet some really awesome people, which haven't been able to do a lot because of the fact of COVID. So it's been a wonderful experience being able to re record here and help build community. So if you want to find out more information about it, please go to SohoWorks.com to get more information and tell them I sent you. And now back to the show. Uh, but I'm sure the road has not been easy. You talked to me about a time when you all had a challenge. You're like, we're never going to get through this. And then you did. Well, okay. A challenge that I thought we're never going to get through it. Yeah. And then we did. Man. So um, again, one thing that I can uh, tell you that I've had the honor of doing is um, interviewing a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, we have a project called the Dream Project, and it's allowed me to interview iconic dreamers like the Magic Johnsons and Kathy Hughes and so many others. But I say this to say, I love surrounding myself with other entrepreneur stories because I realize that when you get up close and personal to them, you will see battle scars. So if, if you see a dreamer that has accomplished something, you know, really big in the world, 
know that it has come with this fair share of scars and challenges. Um, so this question, Laura, I think you are going to get up close and see some of our scars. Um, probably, and I call them battles. Um, so let's let's go back to like battle one that was really go challenging. Um, there was an op there was a a moment in Igami's history that we landed a really really big um, global CPG client, and I was excited. You know, um, we're an entrepreneur at the time. I think maybe the team was like a five person team, and this was like going to be our big break, right? So I negotiated the contract with procurement. But what I didn't understand was I signed into payment terms that our small business just simply could not handle. We, we weren't liquid enough, nor did we have um, the cash flow to support the terms that I signed into. So like, imagine mm -hmm. this corporation. <laughs> the terms was like something crazy, like 120 days, you know, yeah, and, net, net 120. Term. And you're like, really? <laughs> <laughs> and when you think net 120, that's like six months before you get your coins, people. Um, and think about it over those months, you, you know, as the entrepreneur, you're still having to meet payroll, you're still having to pay all of the out of pockets associated with the deal. And I put a lot of strain on the business um, during that time. And how I got through it, first and foremost, I would truly say prayer. Um, I, 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 it was beyond me, out of my own strength. Um, you know, I really did feel I had us backed in a corner. And for the first time ever on the dream journey, I was scared. Like, I was truly like, are we going to be able to survive this? Like, have I have I screwed this up to the point that my company is not going to be able to um, sustain itself in, in with the challenges that we were facing? So first and foremost, it was prayer. Um, and then secondly, I feel after prayer, being led to the insights and answers of what to do. And it was really around examining the people that I had on my team making sure that it was time to get right people, right seats. I needed another elevated level of financial counsel. Um, so we had to make some changes in the organization. We had to bring in, you know, skill sets that now had an understanding of how to negotiate at the new level of where the firm had reached. Um, and then I think the biggest thing is just staying in the fight. You know, it, it, there was no throwing the towel in. There were moments that it felt like, I don't know if we're going to be able to go on, but every day we just got up and showed up and just kept fighting every single day. And eventually the tide turned. So that was, that was a pretty big battle. The second one, I would say, welcome to 2020, the pandemic, everybody's back. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Of course. Yeah. So in, in the pandemic, it was just, I feel like everyone that's listening to this went through that battle. I mean, our world was changed. It was hit so quickly, but as an entrepreneur, we had to pivot to work in a complete virtual environment. We had to find solutions when some clients just could not um, stay on with us. Um, we had to keep our team motivated. I mean, it was 
I can honestly say my problem solving skills as well as our leadership team, which we have an amazing, amazing, strong executive leadership team, our ability to solve problems quickly, um, the skill set there just increased tremendously in the pandemic. Um, so I think the pandemic taught us, number one, write our plans in pencil. Um, and if you write them in pencil, that means you can erase and you can pivot when you need to. And if you stay fixed too long, um, that can cost you. Um, also, it taught us to innovate. And so, you know, we had to create ways to bring the clients back to us in some cases when clients just were cutting budgets because they had to. And we also had to figure out ways to build team in a complete virtual environment. I'm a leader that wants to like see the people and, and you know, be in the business and build the culture. We had to really start building culture virtually. Um, so yeah, that, that was battle two. That was battle two for everybody that was listening, the battle of 2020. <laughs> well, you know what it is? I think, you know, we were saying this before we started recording, it's it's all kind of taught us how much more resilient we really are and how much more creative we can be. Obviously, when you're backed against the wall, because we're all in the business where we're in the people business. And if you can't see people, how do you how do you run a business? So finding ways to like evoke culture and community in this insane set of circumstances um, really has the, you know, the cream rise to the top. And, you know, that's why y'all are thriving. Yeah, it's been a good year. It's, it, was, it was like the year that started out of, oh my goodness, how are we gonna do this? And it just, it turned around. It, I think 2020 taught, us, taught all of us that we are stronger than we know. Oh, absolutely. And thinking about that and looking back on that, what do you think you'd tell 25-year-old Tanisha? Man, Laura, 25-year-old <laughs> Tanisha, being completely transparent, 25-year-old Tanisha. And I don't want to judge her too much, but I would say, <laughs> I would say number one, she was so turned up. Um, I, was going, I was going out to the club like that was my job like it was my second job like my mom she's <laughs> like she's like Tanisha do you realize I call you and you go out every night like I had I, we had some I had some girlfriends that I met in Minneapolis and it's almost like during my college years I was so strict I, because mm -hmm. I knew I couldn't afford to mess up and so I graduated with this high GPA, I landed this corporate job. But once I got the corporate job, it was like, okay, I want to go do all the partying that I didn't do in college. Didn't do in college. Mm -hmm. So I was partying big time. Um, I also don't think during that time that I had a great sense of my personal self-worth in terms of just some of the personal work of loving yourself. And when you, when you don't have that self-worth, um, you will allow others in your world that doesn't value you, know, you because you're not necessarily valuing you. So I definitely think I had relationships in my life at the time that did not reflect my worthiness. Um, 
And then the third thing was I was kind of lost chasing, you know, chasing paper, like I told you. Um, Mm -hmm. I really didn't think about purpose during that period. So what I would tell my 25-year-old self is, um, number one, I would tell her, relax. You're going to figure it out. You're going to figure it out. Like breathe, relax. You don't have to be perfect. All of these decisions, like give yourself some grace. Um, So I would tell her that. I would also whisper in her ear, you're worth it. Um, you, You are worthy and you're worthy of you know, greatness, you're worthy of um, a life fulfilled with with joy and passion. Um, And I would probably give her a little cheat sheet to say, hey, just try following the path that you are passionate about. Just try the purpose-driven path out and you're going to be amazed with what life has in store. I think it's absolutely wonderful and so necessary for folks to hear. It's like, let's try. I don't know where my head up. So, you know, talking about how, you know, obviously 2020 was a challenging year and so much for all of us. It's hard to navigate, especially when you're a leader. What do you do for your self-care? Well, when the pandemic first happened, I, that's one place that I can say I was just horrible. Um, I was eating. I was so stressed out. I didn't even realize I was that stressed out, but I was eating like crazy. Um, and then my grandmother got sick and she died. And I, I really felt from a self-care perspective, I was just out of control in the pandemic. I I just wasn't balanced. And I realized that was from about April to November. I know that's a long period, April to November. It's a pandemic, it it was understandable. (laughs) It's a pandemic. Um, We were existing through a pandemic, understandable. I gained 30 pounds, like it just, I didn't even realize what, you know what I did realize when I couldn't fit my clothes. But I kept saying, you know, oh, I'm going to get to it later. And then November, that was my moment of like, you, like in the midst of all of this, you, you, you have done this before and you know, you know the importance of putting you in the equation. Like I've been in the game a long time. So I know the importance of putting me as the main priority. And when I say me, not the business, but my soul, my mind, my spirit, my physical um, uh, healthiness. And I just, I recommitted to myself in November and I started slow. Um, Things like going for walks, I did find a gym that I felt comfortable in because a lot of it was just not feeling comfortable anymore. So I found one that um, I felt comfortable in because they didn't, they won't have a lot of people in and I double masked up. And that was sort of me saying to me again, let's get back to the basics. And my self-care basics 
need to include three things. Um, being mindful of what I eat from a nutrition standpoint. Prayer, I have to have a connection to my higher source. Um, for me, I'm a Christian. And so I have to have that time of being intentional to have prayer and meditate. And then the third thing that's very important is I must have physical activity. Um, and I, so I went back to the basics of the things that I know are important for me. Awesome. And how's that journey been since November? Oh, I feel so much better. I mean, totally Good. not where I want to I'm not where I want to be with all the weight that I gained, but um, <laughs> we all can, we're all there. It's okay. That's the one thing that I can say I don't feel bad about because we got an excuse. You know, we at this point it's like, girl, we've been in a pandemic. <laughs> like so, pandemic you are allowed I mean we've all gained weight and the other thing that I think also threw us off was that we all went from being like you know looking wonderful in our outfits to go to work to wearing sweats at home and so sweats have elastic in them so you don't realize how much weight you're getting until you go and put a pair of pants you're like what is going on but it's okay because it's a pandemic we're allowed um, but as long as we're feeling better about ourselves, I think is the most important part of it and kind of connecting back to what matters and to each and, and to ourselves. So I think that's, that's fantastic. Yes. So feeling good, um, feeling like I'm, I'm definitely putting me back in the equation and overall feeling really good about 2021. Awesome. And then last question for you. Do you have a give and or an ask of the audience? Hmm, this is good. I'm glad I didn't um, read the questions beforehand. My ask of the audience would be, um, we're still early in the year. I'm not quite sure when you're gonna run this, Laura, but we're still early in the year. I would like to challenge you to think about what is your dream for 2021? And that can be professionally and or personally, you know, is there something on your heart that is just pulling, tugging, you've always wanted to do, and you've had it on the, I'm going to get to this one day. And, or maybe it's something that is right before you now, but you're kind of scared to go after it. Um, because it would make you even more uncomfortable and who wants to be uncomfortable after coming out of a pandemic and being uncomfortable <laughs> all of 2020. But my ask of you is going to be to say yes to the challenge and to say yes to the stretch. And my definition of the stretch is a willingness to expand and go beyond your comfort zone in order to reach your dream. Um, so that's my ask. And if you are willing to say yes to that, I definitely encourage you to grab a copy of The Big Stretch. Um, and you can do that anywhere books are sold. And literally it is a 90 day action plan to work with you to get that idea that just popped in your head 
to take it from idea into reality. Um, so I would serve as your dream coach. There are weekly exercises that you have to do and apply towards your dream week after week after week. So almost think like you would be signing up for a boot camp for your dream. Um, that is my ask of you is to say yes to the stretch and let's do this in 2021. I love that. So funny story. I bought your book when it came out and I was like, I'm going to do this at the beginning of 2020. <laughs> and so you can imagine where your book is. It's on my bookshelf. Um, but funnily enough, I was thinking about like, I do need, I do have an idea for a big stretch this year. So I think I will take you up on this and I will let you know how it goes in the next 90 days. Yeah. <laughs> oh, one um, last thing. Also, everyone follow it. me on Instagram at Tanisha J. Warner. Absolutely. So Tanisha, like I said, I am so happy to have you as part of 29 Days of Magic. Yeah, this up, this will go up like in the next week or so because we're all getting this in for February. Um, you know, you're just so inspiring. Like I said, I will never forget the day that we met. And I was like, it's can girl, you're gonna, you need flats. <laughs> um, <laughs> And it's just so delightful to see how you all just continue to thrive. I adore you. I adore your husband, Mike. I just, you know, I'm honored to know that you all just exist in this universe, doing the wonderful work that you do and changing hearts and minds and driving with purpose. So I'm so glad folks got to hear your story today and follow her, buy her books. We'll put all the details in the show notes so you can find out more about where you can connect with Tanisha. Do the stretch. I'm going to do it and obviously yeah, connect and let Tanisha know how I did. Um, and if you want to sign up too, let me know. And uh, thanks again for joining me on the show today, Tanisha. Thank you, Laura. And thank you for your willingness to do this campaign um, to really provide voices of inspiration, a platform, I know you are an entrepreneur yourself. And so you taking this initiative on, I feel like it was a part of you saying yes to yet another stretch and also you saying yes to operating on purpose. So thank you for just your obedience and your willingness to be light in the world. Oh, thank you, Tanisha. That means a lot. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And- See you, sister. <laughs> <laughs> At some point when it's over, we can actually grab a drink finally. <laughs> so I'm I awesome. And that is our show.